Our scripture reading today is John 12, 20 through 28. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came up to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? The Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Steve. Well, again, good morning and welcome. So glad that you're here with us at the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors. Let's pray together as we uh, return to the Gospel of John. Father, we are so grateful for your word. God, we're thankful that you... Show us and tell us the best way to live. Help us to follow you in that. And Lord Jesus, we're also grateful that even when we fail at it, uh, your forgiveness is new and fresh each day. And so speak to us now through the power of the Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you most afraid to lose? Could be family, reputation, a relationship, financial stability, success, health, long life, you name it. What are you most afraid to lose? And what if Jesus asks for that thing from you? Like, what if, what if he peers down into your life right now in this moment? Like, he looks deep within. He already knows, right? And he sees it there, and he says, Nathan, that's exactly what I want. That, that thing that you're gripping onto, it's exactly what I want from you. What do you do then? Or, or let, me, let me ask it another way. What are you afraid following Jesus might cost you? Because maybe you even come and you're like, okay, yes, I want, I want to follow Jesus, but you're kind of holding back a little bit. You don't want to follow too closely. Because you know that if you do, like, what if he asks for blank? It's like, I, 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 want, to be, I want to be generous, but I don't want to have to change my lifestyle. I want, to, I want to share my faith, but I don't want all my people to know that I'm a Christian. I want to honor Jesus in my sex life, but then who will date me? What if Jesus asks for that. Well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Uh, the good news is you don't have to wonder what Jesus wants. I mean, he, he tells us he is absolutely, completely upfront, forthright about the cost of following him. There's no hidden payments, right? No fine prints. He's absolutely clear. That's the good news. The bad news, at least depending on your perspective, is that he wants all of it. Everything. Like, like, whatever it is you hold dear, like, he wants all of it. Your family he wants, your reputation, that relationship, finance, success, sex life, lifestyle, you name it. And so the good news is, you don't have to guess. 
The hard news is, he wants your very life. But, you and I will never get a better offer than this. If you haven't already, turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. So last week, we returned to the Gospel of John. Uh, so if you're like, man, why are we in the middle of John? Where, like, how long was I gone for Christmas? Uh, so we, we started this actually last January, and we took a couple of breaks along the way. Um, and now we're in the second half of John, which is all the final week of Jesus' life. So all this, this time, all these weeks together that we're going to have, it's all in his, his final week. We're calling this series Behold Your King because Jesus reveals himself clearly to be the king that we, we long for. And so he, he is our king, and as such, everything already belongs to him, right? Uh, everything, everything we have, everything we love, our, our very selves, it all belongs to him. He made it all, he wants it all, he longs to redeem it all. And he doesn't just want to save you, he also wants to rule over you, which is actually really good news. Because this king knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what's going to satisfy us. And he wants to give us a meaningful life that begins now and never ends. All he asks for in return is everything you hold dear in the world. And so is it worth it? I mean, that's the question that each one of us has to to wrestle with. That's what we're going to wrestle with today. And really throughout this entire series in the Gospel of John, is Jesus worth it? So in this this previous story, so if you were here last week, uh, where we began, like King Jesus rode in on a donkey, right? So it's kind of the classic Palm Sunday moment. So that's where we're at in the in this story. He rode in, uh, sort of declaring himself in many ways to be the king, which is why it would lead to his death just a few days later, right in the middle of, of that week. And our verses today begin with verse, verse 20. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, so the coming Passover, were some Greeks. And these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, it's strange to me that, that John gives us these details, like why it all happened like that. I don't, I don't know exactly. But, but two things. One, it lends to the credibility of the eyewitness account, because who would fabricate details like this? Like that's, Those kinds of specific details would be weird to make them up, Right? Uh, so it gives some, some credibility to it. And then second, it shows, and this is what's really important, that it shows that even as Jesus' own people are rejecting him, because that's what we're going to see throughout this week, right? His own people are going to reject him. They're going to crucify him. But even as that happens, the nations, these Greeks, these Gentiles, are drawn to him. And then it says in verse 23, so he responds to them. Verse 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I I did grow up in a farming community, and and there are times when I uh, fantasize about raising chickens and pretending to be a farmer, okay? Okay. Um, in fact, somebody, a congregation member recently let me drive their tractor. People, it was pretty great. I'm not going to lie. 
Oh yeah, it was, it was a good day, okay? It was a good day. Uh, but think about, think about this metaphor that Jesus picks up on. In the agrarian world, it would have made instant sense to them, right? Uh, so, you know, in the agrarian world, like a seed has to die, essentially. Has to be buried into the ground, right? And, and Jesus is going to follow this path himself. But in so doing, it sprouts life, and in turn, can produce hundreds of, of new seeds, right? We know how that, that, that's how it works. Jesus, Jesus is saying that this is what his death will do. And he invites us to join him in that death so that we also may bear fruit. This is where he goes in verse 25. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, I know, I know that feels a little harsh, right? And we'll, we'll explain a little bit what, what he means here. But at least, at the very least, Jesus is honest. And notice, notice this here, too, that no matter what, there's going to be a loss, with or without Jesus. Uh, and, and really, that's, that's the first thing. You will lose, with or without Jesus, you and I. Uh, there's, there's going to be loss, in your life and mine. There's just no way around it. With or without Jesus, there will be loss. You are already giving your life to something or someone that takes from you, that demands something in return. It could be a relationship, it could be a career, hobby, identity. Like, and, and in giving your life to that thing, you are saying no to and missing out on other things. In fact, this is one of the great lies, I think, in our culture and really in all of human history, right? This, this lie that you can have it all without losing anything, right? This is a lie we often believe. Yeah, I can have everything. I can have everything I want, right? But there's, there's always a loss. And so Jesus says here that if, you'll, if, you, if you lose your life, Right? Or if you, if you love your life, he says, meaning, meaning if you live for yourself, right? If you are the focal point of your existence, you will lose, right? And it won't make you happy. And chances are, most of us probably have figured this out by now, right? That if you live a completely self-centered existence, it's not very satisfying. Like, it comes with a loss. But we also know that if you live for something bigger than yourself, that also comes with a loss because you have to say no to yourself, right? Now, now when Jesus says here that you have to hate your life, Okay, that doesn't mean we live a life of self-loathing. That's not, that's not what it means in this context. In fact, it was a very cultural way of speaking in that day to have this kind of conscious, this love-hate thing. In fact, uh, one commentator paraphrases it as a fundamental preference for yourself. That, that's the idea, that if you have a fundamental preference for you, you will lose your life. That's what Jesus is saying. But if you have a fundamental preference for Jesus, you will gain your life. But either path is going to feel like loss. And at least, at least Jesus is honest about it. Many years ago, Kelly and I were at this resort together, just the two of us. This beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, when someone, look, at, look how young we are, right? This is a long time ago, people. Kelly looks the same, but you can, you can tell. It's been a long time. Uh, so we're there, and one of the employees comes up to us like on day one and says, hey, I can get you all kinds of free stuff. I can get you discounts on food and on activities and pretty much anything you want, right? You can have it all. All you have to do is go to this super low-pressure meeting 
It won't even hardly take an hour, I promise, right? Does anybody here think that took only an hour? No. It was awful. Like, we went. We were stupid enough back then. Uh, we went. Like, three hours of, the, like, the shadiest, most high-pressure sales tactics. I mean, it was absolutely awful. And the worst part, the worst part is that we were in there in this, like, closed, dark room doing that instead of literally being anywhere else in this incredible paradise. So we, were, we were in hell, in paradise, right? And the reality is we got our free stuff, but it was not free, right? It was expensive. It was awful. And friends, this is, this is we, we, we're, we live in denial of this. I live in denial of this, but this is exactly what our idols do. By idol, I mean those things that we make, that can be good things in our lives, that we make into ultimate things, right? Our idols always lie about the cost. They always tell us, you can have it all. It's going to be okay. I promise. You can look at porn and have a healthy marriage. I promise you can do that. You can, you can live for your career and have a healthy balance with your kids at home. You can do that. Sure you can. You can idolize your children and and not push them away, right? And not, not only do they lie about the cost, these things, they're always lying about the cost. Not only do they do that, they manipulate us into control until they become our master, right? In fact, this is what theologian and philosopher Howard Thurman, who had a profound impact on Martin Luther King Jr., what he points out in one of his essays, that if you, if you have something, if you have anything that you are afraid of losing, what that means is ultimately anybody can control you with that thing. And so, for example, if you're afraid of losing money or success, then your boss can exert near-absolute control over you. If you're afraid of losing the affection of your children, then every whim you're subject to. If you're, if you're afraid of losing people's approval, right? If everybody has to like you and you're, you're obsessed with that. I mean, think of the control that gives them, the power that gives them over you in your life. And this is, this is Thurman's point. Holding on to your life. Holding on to these things that we, that we think are going to save us, essentially, that are going to give us the life we want, is the door to enslavement, where he, where he says you can always be controlled, enslaved, tyrannized, and mastered. There's always a cost. And the reality is you can lose with Jesus or you can lose without Jesus. But idols always lie about the cost. At least Jesus tells the truth. So the question isn't whether or not there's a cost. The question is which cost is worth it. And this is the main thing that John wants us to see here. This is our second point, but it's really the focal point of what John is getting at. That Jesus is worth everything you're afraid of losing. Let me say that again. And pretend this isn't just a churchy thing we say, right? Jesus is, a, is worth everything you're afraid of losing. You know, we often, we often think about the cost of following Jesus. Man, the cost is too high. There's going to be too much if I really... But we, we forget, though, is the cost of not following Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about going to heaven when we die, as important as it is, right? That's a, that's a beautiful reality. Jesus mentions that here. But that's, that's not all. I'm talking about life even now. In fact, the, the late Dallas Willard, I love this guy, right? He, he writes that not following Jesus, he, he refers to it as non-discipleship. He says non-discipleship costs abiding peace, 
It costs a life penetrated throughout by love, faith, that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right. In short, non-discipleship, not following Jesus, costs you exactly the abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. Cost the abundance of life Jesus came to offer. Let me, let me show how that works out with an example. Okay, you see, I have, I have a bit of a money problem. I like it a lot, okay? Some of you might know what that's like. Uh, I, have, I have a hunch, right? I, I, like, I like money. I also, I also really like the idea of being generous, Right? And more than that, more than that, I really do. I want to be a generous person. I want, I want that to be true of me because I know, I know that's the best way to live. I know that's the most satisfying thing. I know all of that and that, that it truly honors Jesus when we live that out. I know all that. I also know the sense of safety and security I can get when I look at my bank account. If something happens, if we have to go to the ER, something breaks down in the car, something in the house... Like, it's like a warm blanket on a cold night, right? But the reality is, if, if money is my trust, what do I do right now when I look at my retirement fund? Or, or what, what, what happens when you, when you feel the effects of inflation and your savings? It's not what it used to be, right? And it'll, it'll never be enough, and you kind of know that. And for the biggest problems in life, money can't solve it anyway. And so we could end up with more money, but less rest. But if instead, if I rely on God for my daily bread, if I trust that ultimately my family's provision is up to him, not me, and we do embrace a generous lifestyle, well, if we do that, we may have less money, but actual rest in God. Either way, there's a cost. But which, which God can truly protect and satisfy? Which one? The eternal one who reigns from heaven? Or the one who lives on a computer chip on a Bank of America's server somewhere? Right? And besides, besides, we're not the only ones who have a cost. Think about how costly this was for Jesus. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. It says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is an interesting, sort of intimate picture that John gives us of Jesus in this moment, right? That he's, he's struggling. He knows where he's going, right? Uh, and, and yet, like, he's wrestling with it. Like, his soul is troubled in the moment. He knows what he has to do, but it comes at a huge cost, right? The cost of his, his own life. And so, yes, Jesus paid it all, and he did so not just that we're able to come to him, but even to draw us to him. Look at look what he says in verse 32. And I, Jesus is speaking, he says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, meaning on the cross, I will draw all people to myself. That, that through his death, Jesus will draw all kinds of people to himself. This is why it's so significant that the Gentiles in this, in this part of the story have come to him, right? These, these outsiders, these people who don't belong. And, and for many of us in this room, probably most of us, right? That's, that's, we're part of that story there. And yet Jesus pays the ultimate cost so that will come. 
that he wants you. He's pursuing you. He knows you. He loves you. He promises life to you. Which of your idols will ever die for you? Which one of them will ever pay the ultimate cost for you? None of them. Our idols take and they take. They make promises they cannot keep. And they leave us empty and alone when they're done. And so not, not only is Jesus honest about the cost, he pays for it himself with his own blood. And he promises to never leave us. Jesus is worth everything we're afraid of losing. Now, of course, none of that makes us easy, right? Um, in fact, laying down your life it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. I mean, truly, right? And yet it's the only thing that will set us free. I, I, love, the way, I love the way C.S. Lewis captures this in his novel, The Great Divorce. I don't know if you've read that one. I love C.S. Lewis. He's, uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant guy. But this novel, it's, a, it's pretty weird, okay? So you've got to hang with me for a moment. It's going to get weird, and then it's going to get weirder, and then probably a little weirder, but then it'll make sense at the end, but then it'll still be weird. Um, but I, I love it anyway. So it's essentially a dream uh, in which ghosts, people who inhabit the gray town, which is essentially hell, they're given an opportunity to experience a day in the foothills of the high country, which is basically heaven. And the ghosts, they can enter the high country if they want to. But they don't. They simply love themselves too much to let go. They actually prefer hell. It's kind of the, the moral of the story. It's a little dark, right? But then we meet this ghost with a little red lizard on his shoulder. And he hates the lizard. He's ashamed of the lizard. But he's unable to give up the lizard. Anybody knows what that feels like? I'm guessing some of you do, right? Let me, let me read a little bit of it here for us. So the lizard was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering in the ghost's ear. As we got sight of the ghost, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. But the lizard wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. And then he turned and started to limp westward, away from the mountains, away from heaven. Off so soon, said a voice. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I told this little chap, the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, he shouldn't be here. I realize that, but he won't stop. I'll just have to go home, meaning back to hell. Would you like me to make him quiet, said the angel. Of course I would, said the ghost. And how, how many of us, right, uh, just pause for a second. How many of us, like, this is exactly what we want God to do, but no more, right? God, would you just make my ugliness a little quieter? My addiction, my anger, my gossip, my greed, my lust, right, whatever it is, my selfishness, would you just, just turn down the volume just a little bit, make it a little more manageable? But that's, that's not what God wants to do. He doesn't want to make it quieter. He wants to kill it. He wants us to lay it all down, but that's going to hurt. Wait, that hurts, the ghost said. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him. I don't want anything so drastic as that. 
It's the only way, said the angel. Shall I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss this later. There is no time. May I kill it? Well, can we do it gradually, the ghost asked. Or maybe, maybe another time. Like, he hates the lizard, right? Just like most of us, most of us hate our shame. He, can't, he just can't imagine life without it. Even, even the lizard begins to pile on. He's start whispering, like, how could you possibly live without me? You couldn't live without me. You, you couldn't survive without me. And the ghost finally admits, he says, I'm afraid that if you kill the lizard, there won't be anything left of me. It will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may. And finally, the ghost gives in. But it's a pitiful scene of whimpering, desperation. It's sort of horrifying, right? And he screams in utter agony as the lizard is finally destroyed. Lewis, Lewis is pretty honest in that spot, right? That it hurts. Like, whatever, whatever it is that Jesus is asking for, the good and the bad, whatever it is, like, it hurts. But don't be fooled. Jesus wants it all. He wants to rule every aspect of your life. He wants the things that you're ashamed of. He wants the things that you're proud of. And it hurts to give it up. And it feels like losing. But when we do, for the story, this is, again, it gets, it gets a little bit weird again here. Uh, but I, I love how, how it builds. Like, the ghost then is utterly transformed in that moment by, by, by finally letting the lizard die. He's resurrected into this beautiful, glorious human once more. And even the lizard is transformed. That this, this man's shame is transformed into a magnificent horse. And then he rides his horse into the high country to join the one who set them free and made them new. Because Jesus is worth everything you're afraid of losing. So start losing today. That's, that's the last thing. That's our action step, people. It hurts. It hurts to even say it, doesn't it? Start losing today. Because as, as the angel said to the ghost, right, with the lizard, said there, there is no time, right? There is no other day. And Jesus essentially says the same thing in verse, in verse 35. He says, the light is among you for a little while. A little while longer, walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. But now is, now is the time to make Jesus the fundamental preference of your life. Now is the time to come to him. But how? How do we start losing our life in order that we might find Jesus? Well, for some of us, and we may just need to begin by simply identifying what it is we're so afraid of losing. Those things that have that kind of power in your, in your affections, right? In your loyalties. What are those things in your life? And then maybe once you've done that, right? Once you have an idea of what those things are, ask Jesus. Say, Jesus, show me how you're better. Show me what, the, what I'm turning, why I turn to these things and how you satisfy me, how you protect me even more than what they're offering. How, it, how is he worthy of these costs? And then, let him kill the lizard. Give Jesus your life. Give him everything. And start losing today. If it's, if it's money, maybe you need to be more generous. 
If it's, if it's lust or sex, maybe you need to start fasting, just simply learning self-denial. If it's success, maybe you need to find ways to serve in completely hidden and thankless ways. If it's family, maybe you need to rededicate them to God. If it's time, maybe you need to give more time away. For many of us, I mean, really, it could be as simple as building in daily rhythms of service and sacrifice. These daily habits, these daily reminders of laying our lives down every single day. If you've not yet joined us in the Formed Life, I hope this isn't just a shameless plug, but we love this, these tools. You can sign up for it online as well. We have the new books out in the lobby. But these are daily practices uh, together, go along with the, the series in John, to just, frankly, just to remind us of who Jesus is, who we are, who he's called and created us to be. And if you, so if you've not done that, that's a great way to, for us to sort of train together how to exchange our fundamental pre- preference for ourselves for our fundal pre- fundamental preference for Jesus and others. Because Jesus wants all of it. Everything you have, the good and the bad, but this is, this is why he came. This is why he died for you. This is why he came out of the grave alive for you. Yes, to forgive you. But also to rule over you for our good, for our joy, for our flourishing. To give us the life that we truly long for. A life that begins now and never ends. And Jesus is worth everything you're afraid of losing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you remind us again and again that this is true? God, I know what it's like to to read these words, to hear these words, and even to nod along with them, but feel like I'm just not quite ready to give it up. So God, I I pray that you would point out to each one of us the the, the ways in which we do that, the areas in which we do that, the things that we're gripping onto. Show us the little red lizards on our backs. And show us how you're better. You've come to give us freedom and joy. Meet us in those places, we pray, by the power of the Spirit, even as we come to your table now, Lord Jesus. As we remind ourselves once again, very tangibly, of your sacrifice on our behalf. Remind us that you're worth it. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.